Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Genesis of Startups, where we interview brilliant minds in entrepreneurship to explore what it's really like to start a business. Our guest today is Brock Hatton, CEO of Chief Nutrition. Brock is a serial entrepreneur with four startups under his belt and two successful exits. Started his startup journey in his 20s after a year-long trip around the world, forming a global view and meeting new people, including spending three weeks with Tim Ferriss in Uruguay, surfing and learning Spanish. Brock specializes in the health and wellness sector, which now sees brands that he has created being sold in over 20 countries around the world. As co-founder and CEO of Chief Nutrition, Brock runs a dynamic team on a rapid growth trajectory after growing 500% last year. Welcome to the show, Brock. Thanks for having me, Will. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Chief Nutrition? Certainly. So I am a father and, and a husband and have two beautiful girls, which take up some wonderful time of mine. And in terms of Chief Nutrition, my role has historically been focused around product development and sales as functions in the business, as well as general management. And obviously, as you know, being an entrepreneur, you need to wear many hats. But certainly over the last sort of three to six months as our team has grown, I'm definitely moving more into the people management, as well as looking after the the sales and development sectors of the business. So what does Chief Nutrition do? So we are a healthy snack brand. We're sort of, we came about because we were really inspired by the, the huge gap in the market around healthy nutrient-dense snacks that are made from real food and are not only great for our consumers, but great for the planet as well. I see. Where did the idea come from to create healthy snacks? Yeah, well, it's it's really, I guess, another function of that gap that we saw. And I think it came about because when you have a look at healthy or so-called healthy products on the market, they tend to be obviously come from big business. You look at the, the global players, it's the Nestle's and the Mars and these types of companies. And they're typically hamstrung by their ability to create truly healthy products because of their margin requirements and, and their sourcing requirements. And it does make it very difficult for them to create truly healthy products. If you look at the back of the packet of almost any snack food on the market, you'll notice that they're full of artificial fillers, binders, or high sugar ingredients like dried fruit, which are obviously inherently cheap as well. So we wanted to create something that stood out from all of this sort of health washing that was going on in the market and being dominated by big players, which sees you know products in the market like Milo or Nutrigrain being sold as health foods. So we saw that and thought, well, if we can take a direct-to-consumer approach largely, being able to, I guess, cut down our supply chain in terms of working with producers of high-quality nutrition uh, and nutrient-dense foods – then we can probably fill that gap quite well. We certainly had the drive and we had the passion and you know there was probably a little bit of ignorance in there as well in terms of to actually succeed, but we certainly wanted to fill that gap and rather selfishly, we wanted to create products that we would feel proud in eating ourselves. And so that was the sort of the genesis of, of our sort of story. Yeah, I mean, creating products that you would use yourself, that's, that's where all brilliant products come from, isn't it? Exactly. So the idea is the gap was big businesses creating so-called healthy snacks when in reality, they weren't really that healthy because these big businesses were bound by restrictions like sourcing requirements and margins and so on. So you wanted to create something that was truly healthy. Mm. In my mind, though, 
you're going up against of the likes of Nestle and so on. It sounds incredibly scary, but clearly, since you grew 500% last year, something is going right. That's what did you do? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's an interesting thing, and this is part of the the shrinking of the global market now. I think there's a, a number of different factors at play here. I think there's a huge part of the population who are readily accessing education around health and nutrition. And we see the general levels of education within consumers around health and nutrition growing dramatically. And that's largely because of the amount of information which people can access now from their computer. So we certainly think that that's part of it. We think we have a very unique product. I think one of the elements that we've identified recently is that it's quite easy to create products which are the same as everything else out there. If you want to just occupy a particular segment of the market and be just the same and I guess be a little bit, you know, it's easy to get scared by being different. But for us, we feel that being different in not only the way in which we source our ingredients uh, and the way we produce the product by, by way of process, but also elements like how can we best communicate those differences to consumers or even the, the taste of the product being particularly different. It's great for us to be able to stand out. So I, I think to answer your question in terms of you know where we sit, I think there's a, a huge opportunity for smaller players now to access consumers, whether that's through direct-to-consumer channels, you know, Amazon in the US or even a little bit here in Australia now, or just through direct-to-consumer e-commerce. There's the ability to reach those consumers much more than, say, five or ten years ago where you had to be on the shelf of Coles or Woolworths to be successful. I think now it's leveled the playing fields to a certain extent where, sure, we don't have the same big budgets, we're not able to do television commercials and those types of things. But for a particular niche who we serve, we can educate those consumers on our differences through social media, through paid advertising. We can do that and we can reach them and they're willing to engage with us. So whilst it is scary or you know to come up against large players like that, I think there's a huge amount of benefit as well in the, the the way in which we can be nimble, the way in which we can address a serviceable market and really stand out to those consumers. I think there's a lot more people out there now who are actually willing to sort of, you know, to not just take a chance on a small player, but are almost put off by big business and, uh, and the large sort of companies in this world that, you know, probably have to do things a little bit cheaper. So those are the consumers that we're trying to speak to. And obviously, it, it seems to be working at the moment, but you know, there's, there's bigger mountains on our horizon as well. Yeah, definitely. You're riding this wave of easy access to direct-to-consumer e-commerce. It's never been easier to reach just everyday people as compared to five years ago when you needed to be on the shelves of big supermarkets. Yeah, Rock, I'm interested to hear, do you have a strategy if... Say, for example, you grow to a size where you are now directly a threat to these big businesses. We hear horror stories of big businesses just essentially replicating these, these products that new startups made. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's, it's something that we are, I guess, aware of. I wouldn't say worried about. I think there is certain things which would prevent big business from copying what we do. And I think it's the fact that 
the margins might be somewhat prohibitive. We are a small, we are a nimble team, even if we do, you know, and we are starting to grow and I guess take market share away. We don't have this big engine that requires huge OPEX. We don't, we outsource a huge amount of our operations, including manufacturing, which means we have no CapEx. So our ability to actually grow is much larger and we don't have those burdens on our business it's not to say that a big business could you know come in and try and take i guess what we're trying to do but it is quite specialized so uh, yeah i wouldn't say that we're particularly worried it's certainly on our radar and you know we can see the the m a space you know in food is 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 quite active you know there's a lot of big businesses you know the kellogg's the Crafts, Nestle, Mars, these types of businesses that, that do look to acquire smaller businesses because of the way in which they can service that market. Now, there's certain efficiencies that those guys would like to bring in-house and that may or may not work in our instance. But I think what we can do for consumers is that we offer a more independent and transparent way of operating. We work extremely closely with our supply chain and even highlight our supply chain as a point of difference. And I think that's something which is difficult for a lot of big businesses to replicate. Yeah, I get your point. So it's just about keeping costs down, making sure the business is efficient, and you're really hammering down on on that transparency aspect. So Brock, after running Chief Nutrition, if you had to give one piece of advice to future entrepreneurs, what would it be? Well, I think there'd, there'd probably be several, but I think the one thing that I, I always look at is perseverance. I think perseverance is, is key to success. It's, you know, I, lo- I love the, the sort of quotes that are around these, you know, success is not final and failure is not fatal. You know, it's the courage to keep continuing which counts. And I, I feel that being able to work harder will present you with a lot more opportunities. I think being able to stay in business will naturally have more opportunities presented to you. You will be learning a whole lot through this journey and it's important not to quit. If you're working in an industry that you love and that you gain a huge amount of personal satisfaction from, then you're going to continue to learn and more opportunities will be presented to you. So I think perseverance is key. We're always going to be challenged by those downtimes. I've had many of them you know you you go through stretches as an entrepreneur of really high highs and really low lows so it's important to you know give yourself or get yourself the support network that can get you through those rough times but you know be able to sort of steer yourself and say you know this is going to be a long journey and the perseverance is going to be key to success yeah definitely where would you draw the line between making sure that you persevere and really just beating a dead horse and persevering for the sake of persevering? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I mean, it's, you know, that's probably different for every person, right? I think the the interesting thing about entrepreneurship and, and I've done business as a solo entrepreneur and I've done it in a partnership. And I think what being in a partnership can offer you is, is that sort of support network. In terms of flogging a dead horse, I think there are certain things that you can look at, in particular just your product market fit. Now, for, for me, obviously, I work in the, the physical product segment, so it's easy for me to look at product market fit 
metrics and say, are we getting traction? What needs to change? Do we need to um, change the taste, the consistency, the size, the flavor of particular products and, and see what sort of uh, impact that has on us? You know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs probably quit because of external factors. You know, it might be they've got too many bills to pay or, you know, they I don't know, they need to, you know, provide for their family and they're, they're not able to do that. It's It can be really difficult to draw that line and it's really hard, but I kind of feel like the, the important thing is that if you're taking an overview of the business and that you can sort of step back and that you can have that critical eye and sort of say, well, what's going wrong? Are we able to fix it? Can we pivot out of it? What are the sort of elements that we need to change that is going to give us traction. Now, that can be difficult to do if you're caught up in the minutiae of every single day and the the day-to-day running of the business. But making time, have a strategic view and be able to sort of take that step back and look at it and say, well, is this successful? No. Okay, why isn't it successful? Do you need to ask your customers why it's not successful, what's not resonating with them? And then be able to take stock and actually have a really clear view and say, well, these are these are the things that we need to change. Now, if you go through that process 10, 20, 30 times and you're still not getting anywhere, maybe that's the time to draw a line. <laughs> but I really think, you know, if you if you're able to to step away from it and to really sort of take the time to look at the business strategically, it will it will become apparent to you as to what needs to be done to either pivot out of it or to make the changes to the existing product to to ensure better product market fit. Yeah, I get your point. So the idea is in order to determine whether or not you're flogging a dead horse is to take a bird's eye view. Because when you take a bird's eye view, you can determine what's going wrong. And if you find out what's going wrong, you either change your product or you pivot. And if those two aren't possible, that's when you're flogging a dead horse. Exactly. Yeah. How do you learn the skill to pivot successfully to avoid that dead horse outcome? Yeah, look, I think it's it's it just comes with experience. I mean, I, I think there were times where I felt like I was probably flogging a dead horse and that, you know, they are the difficult times that you need to have some support or have that structure around you where you can that you can lean on. I think, you know, it's it's something that's really personal to a lot of people. What what does that sort of what does that dead, dead horse represent? For me, I think it's there have been times and certainly some of the one of the exits in particular that that I had was largely around not wanting to be in that industry anymore I, I kind of think you know for that particular example we looked at the landscape of distribution and we were distributing other products in the health food category and we could see the writing on the wall in terms of where that industry was going there's a shortening of supply chain. There's the ability now for stores to be ordering directly from the producer, and it was re- started to really ratchet up at, at quite a rate. So for us to be able to, I guess, take a, a three, five, and ten year look at the industry that we were in and say, well, where do we think this is going, and do we want to be part of that industry? For us, that was again just that taking the time and having a taking a strategic look at not only your business but the industry at large and be able to say here are the the inherent risks here are the threats to our business 
offset that potentially with opportunities. But really, it's just one of those simple sort of SWOT analysis of, of both your business and the industry. And then being able to sort of say, well, where does the what does the future look like? And if it's not something that you want to be in, how can you turn that around and, you know, point your business towards some of those opportunities that you've uh, identified? Yeah, definitely. It's not supposed to be some sort of complex analysis, but really in combination with your experience and going back to the bird's eye view, that's how you can determine the skills to pivot. Yeah, and I think it's also extremely important, and you know, this can be difficult for some entrepreneurs, but if you can have those types of strategy sessions facilitated externally, I really find that helpful because there's a lot of things that you as an entrepreneur, you'll, you'll be sort of bogged down in this nitty-gritty detail of your business. But if you can have someone external to ask you some of those hard questions that you're possibly not going to ask yourself, I kind of feel like that really helps that process. And it is asking those tough questions of yourself and of your business that's going to stress test it and, and really give you give you the opportunity to sort of look forward and to break some of those those shackles that you probably put on yourself and your business. Yeah, absolutely. Removing biases and tunnel vision. Brock, what are some of the challenges that you faced since starting Chief Nutrition and how did you go about overcoming them? Yeah, so we've we've faced a number of, of different challenges along the way, some of them related to product. Certainly, we had some issues when we first started around packaging quality and we had some really difficult times where the packaging was failing and, and with our product, obviously, a snack food product, that barrier seal that we need around the packaging is vitally important to shelf life and stability of the product. So we had some really awful experiences where the packaging was failing. We, we had a small microscopic tear in the packaging which was being created by our packing process and it meant that our, our product was spoiling. So we had you know terrible user experience where consumers would be opening our our snacks and there'd be you know mold or there'd be all these sort of gross things on our bar and obviously that was a terrible experience for the consumer and it was really worrying for us and not just from a consumer standpoint but obviously we then had to re reimburse and, and refund consumers and, and wholesalers along the way which created a huge strain on the business from a cash flow standpoint. So that was a really big challenge and, and it you know, highlighted to us the importance of quality assurance and understanding those processes. And I guess it was just a very, very steep learning curve for us to understand some of the little intricacies which we hadn't come across previously, certainly in, in, in my experience with other food businesses uh, and health food products. So that was, that was a huge one, which was very difficult for us to overcome. I mean, luckily it happened when we were very new and people were very forgiving, luckily, and we were able to overcome it because we had such a small consumer base. I mean, if we were to experience something like that now, it would be extremely difficult. But we've also seen such a huge Im increase in our quality assurance. We have quality assurance officer who oversees all of those elements. We also have much tighter contracts around our contract manufacturers and, and how we can, what the recourse is for recalls or for problems with product and elements like that so we've managed you know through our learnings and through that process to put different processes in place and as well as to protect ourselves contractually to overcome it you know from a product standpoint that was a, a huge problem that we needed to overcome i think one of the other elements that we've we've overcome probably in the last two years in particular 
was, I guess, and a product market fit element, which was we were, you know, health food and, and veganism were, were kind of synonyms for each other. I think there was a, a general movement towards vegan products, which which our products aren't. And we were getting a lot of sort of bashing online from, uh, they weren't consumers of ours, but they were people who were uh, pushing a, a vegan agenda. And it made us sort of take a step back and, and have a look and really um, understand what we wanted to stand for as a company. And we, I think, largely were, were taken aback by what impact we could potentially have in a negative sense on our environment. And so we wanted to do a, a really uh, deep dive on that. So we took about um, six months to six to 12 months to actually go through our supply chain and really understand what the impacts are of uh, our choices in, in suppliers and made a huge change. So we, we've changed to regenerative agriculture as a, a huge part of our supply chain. We've also moved to organic in our supply chain and we've really gotten closer to our farmers and, and the people who supply the ingredients for our products. And that's had a huge impact not only just on the way that I guess we view our business and, and it's become a, a, a focal tenant for us in terms of what we want to achieve as a business, but it also has given us the freedom to really uh, highlight our, the provenance of our ingredients and our supply chain and we're now putting that in, you know, in the spotlight for our consumers to see. And so that's been a huge shift for us and that was all really brought about because of people sort of highlighting what they wanted in, in a business like ours. You know, they wanted our business to stand for something more. It's not just a, another product that you can pick up at a service station or convenience store or, or online. They Consumers now want the business to stand for something and that's really shifted our thinking and and you know, now it's, as I said, it's a core tenant of what we stand for, but it also gives us a, a huge platform and it actually really gives us a lot of, gives us a lot more of enthusiasm in terms of what we're trying to achieve. And it means that we're not just using metrics like, you know, units sold or profitability for judging success. We're now looking at other metrics, how much um, CO2 can we sequester in, into soils? What can we do to raise awareness for farming initiatives and put some of these other things in really in the spotlight? And that's been fantastic for us because um, not only as a business but personally it gives us huge amounts of personal satisfaction uh, in what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, definitely. As you, as you mentioned, you're a business that stands for something. So you're doing what you can to help in other areas. Sure, your products might not be vegan, but if you look at other ways that you can make an impact, like the environment, I mean, that, that is something that you can stand for. Absolutely, yeah. And that's really resonating with today's consumer. I think they they expect more and more out of brands now. And I think, you know, to the point earlier, you know, is that is that a way that we can separate ourselves from big business? It, it probably is. I think that's, that's extremely important in reaching today's consumers yeah absolutely where do you see chief nutrition in the future what's next over the next five to ten years yeah we're on a pretty steep growth curve at the moment so there's a few big things we're launching in the u.s this year which is going to be really big for us it's obviously the sort of biggest market in the world for snack foods and convenience foods so at the moment we're 
we're tracing out our supply chain and, and making sure that we've got all our ducks in a row over there and making sure that we can deliver a similar user experience to what our Australian customers are getting. We're also launching in the Middle East, which is huge. We're going to be able to service that market from Australia. And it's really just more growth, not only in the markets that we occupy, but also our product range. So we're now starting to see the products that are working, how we need to develop those uh, products further, what sort of line extensions we need. So there's a lot of sort of development on the product side, as well as the markets and territories in which we occupy. So we're, yeah, really uh, enthusiastic about, you know, the next little time ahead. We, We were lucky to go through the Genesis program last year. And it's been fantastically helpful for us and to have the the level of support and to have the entrepreneurs which are in both, you know, the Genesis program and in our cohort, but but also the, the alumni that uh, Genesis has. It's been hugely successful and, and hugely helpful for us in terms of the way in which we not only achieved our goals last year, but certainly our, our future focus and what we're hoping to achieve. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the genesis of startups today, Brock. Thanks, Will. Really appreciate the time. Where can the audience go to learn more about you? So the best website is eatlikeachief.com. That has all the information around our products as well as what we're doing for Thankful for Farmers, which is the NGO that we support in terms of encouraging farmers and providing assistance for farmers to transition from industrial agriculture to regenerative agriculture. So highly recommend you check out our site or just go to thankfulforfarmers.org. Brilliant. I hope the audience has found what we talked today about perseverance, about expansion and product market fit incredibly valuable. If you'd like to learn more about the genesis of startups, feel free to drop us a line on LinkedIn, Facebook or Twitter. Until next time.